Hey, Jords. How are you on this fine day? Yo, I'm uh, doing good, man. I've uh, had a pretty good day. All things considered. What about yourself? Ah, uh, pretty good. Ah, uh, pretty well. good day as well. Um, weather's um, great. Weather's great. It was raining. It was raining. And now, like, outside, and now, like, outside the window, it's like beautiful sunset. Like beautiful sunset. sunset. Oh, it's looking pretty good. It's looking pretty good. So, so can't ask, nice. can't ask for much more now. So, um, so um, well, thanks all for well, being, on, all here. For being on here. It's super it's random. Super random. Um, um, all that, all all that of, off of um, getting Pedro's, Bell getting Pedro's wrong, wrong, which is really funny because like, I, I can actually know that Pedro. Know that Pedro. We're, on, like, we're on like multiple, multiple monkey dot chats, chats together and group chats. And group chats. But, but... Oh, God. Yeah, don't, don't mention that anymore, Bell. Uh, <laughs> I'll get embarrassed. That was really funny. That was really funny. When I saw the message, I was like, that makes more sense. That makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm not usually the best at DMs, but I try and get better over time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, I think originally, originally the way I'd seen it is because I think I first DM'd, I think I first DM'd you like a while back, and uh, and, uh, and you basically, and you basically said that you just didn't, didn't answer. DMs. DMs. At which point I was like, yeah, this will be a me. This will be a me. That's fine. Yeah. I like that to be the bar at least. You know what I mean? Like, if that's the expectation, then I can't disappoint anyone. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, I mean. So. So. I think I'd like, I think to, I'd like, like to just like get into the basic the parts. basic like, parts. Like, like how did you get into crypto? How did I get into crypto? Yeah. Um, so I've always kind of enjoyed the like investing side of things. Like I um, grew up kind of I had like a stock account when I was like fifteen under my dad's name and um, kind of ran that up to a pretty good number and then nuked it all back to zero. So I was fortunate enough to kind of learn that lesson reasonably early on. Um, and then kind of the long and the short of it was I was post COVID, um, kind of got back into trading and, and picking up different, different stocks and things like that. And obviously after COVID 2020, um, pretty much everything was going up. So you really didn't have to be too skilled. It was just kind of point and shoot and, and everything was going good. Um, and then the Australian government let people who was uh, who were affected by like the kind of stand downs and the layoffs that happened during COVID to access their like 401k um, or in Australia it's called superannuation. And um, I was basically I looked at the performance of my superannuation to date, and it was really quite bad. I think it was like negative two percent or something like that. Um, which was the market was going up. So I just didn't really understand what was happening. So I, I kind of took it out with the intention of keeping it quite conservative, just putting it in the S&P. Um, and that kind of inevitably turned into the DGEN side. Like I kind of fell down the risk curve slowly from, you know, S&P to more penny stocks and then into um, kind of fumble down the rabbit hole of crypto and found that in, I think it must have been August of 2020 or something like that um and then just kind of became obsessed with it like it was always something that i thought like you know i should understand like i don't really like understanding things but every time i tried to put one foot in the water it just was a bit too hard so when i had the time at the end of 2020 i, I kind of threw myself in to the deep end of the pool and then um once i understood it and kind of understood the basics of it uh it was kind of got obsessed with it so it's kind of the origin story i suppose yeah fair enough i mean i think it's probably similar to what a lot of people did through trading right but at the same time then just like probably going into like the more degen things 
but yeah. August 2020 is fairly early. What was, was there any specific thing that like attracted your attention into crypto or was it just kind of like from one step to the next, it just kind of led there? Um, I think like, as I said, it was kind of just a more speculative asset, I suppose. Like I was kind of falling down from the S&P side and then into penny stocks. And then you kind of look at the penny stocks and, and, you know, small gold mines. And I got to the point where I was like, you know, messaging my, my friend who is a geologist of like what gold strikes looked promising of, of small, like um, these small gold mines that hadn't even started yet, but they had done like some basic drilling tests in like Western Australia, like going really kind of off the, off the radar. And then you look at some of the returns on crypto and it really just kind of dwarfs everything else. You know what I mean? Like a gold stock yeah. might go up. <laughs> that like, goes up. Yeah, like it, it, at best, you know, maybe you hit like a 200% at a gold stock that's trading at four cents or something like that. But when it comes to returns um, and a true decentralized casino, if that's what you're after, it's it's nice. pretty hard to beat um, crypto. And I think that's how a lot of people kind of, at the end of the day, most people are here, at least as their origin story, to make money. And For money, um, yeah. it's pretty undeniable that crypto is a way to at least get access to a space that can give big returns. Of course, it can go the other way, but I think that's how a lot of people kind of get gateway to it. Do you think, so you come in there for money and I agree like a lot of people that I did too. Do you think that at this point you're not here for the money anymore and it might be for other reasons, whether it be the tech, the friends you've made, or has it like when, was there an evolution and how did that evolution kind of happen? <laughs> it's a funny question. Um, because I think it's, there's not a whole answer to it. Like I, I think it would be um, quite virtue signaling of me if, if I, if I said, just said that I wasn't here for the money anymore. Um, yeah. I think inevitably crypto's best use case um, as a whole is a decentralized casino. I think there's a lot of value that comes in between things like art on chain is something beautiful and something that I'm, really really grateful to kind of be a part of um from the collector side i can't create for shit but to be a part of it in, in my own way um but when it comes to participation um i think the core theme is to make money but also to like you can do things in parallel you know what i mean like i can invest in art to support artists but i can also do that strategically in a way where i think at the end of the day I will make money. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I think You're intent. Two birds on stone. Yeah, I think people when they kind of uh, peel back the layers of an onion when it comes to intention, you don't have to be all out for one particular thing. Like I think that's something that people get wrong a lot. Like I might be, you know, donating to charity or whatever it might be because it makes me feel good, but it's also because it makes me feel good. Like. You know what I mean? Like it makes me feel good to contribute, but it also makes me feel good knowing that I did that. Like there's kind of two sides of everything. And part of that is a selfishness that comes with it. And I think that my intention with crypto is of course to make money, but it's maybe to make other people money as well. You know, like the value creation we've seen with something like Google um, is pretty exceptional. And that can be you making money in parallel with others. That can be just general value creation. That can be you see, you know, someone who's bought a Google 
and then started appreciating artists or started appreciating what it's like to build their own communities. And then you see this kind of ripple effect of value creation. Um, and I think that's quite special. So I don't know, for me, like we're kind of having some really interesting conversations kind of behind the scenes at Google at the moment. Um, and I think that doing things for the first time or like really being the kind of pioneers of a particular thing in crypto, even if it's, you know, taking web two ideas and doing it first on chain and things like that. Um, that to me is really, really interesting. But I think that the core to the core answer to the question you asked is that I'm here because there's no, there's nowhere else to be where you're presented with so many opportunities and it makes sense. Even if you do nothing to be active in this space, because you get things like, you know, airdrops, is just such a foreign concept to 99% of the planet, much more than 99%. Um, the fact that I can get free money for participating or, you know, being early in a Discord and things like that, like that doesn't exist anywhere else. And it just makes sense to be active in this space, even if you can't afford to deploy capital, even if you can't, you know, you don't have the time to, to be super active that's why I'm here because there's, I, I look to my left, I look to the right and there's just nowhere else that has this much present and consistent opportunity. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, flashbacks to bonk and the amount of money that that brought <laughs> to the Solana ecosystem. Jesus Christ. That yeah. Was nice. I mean, that it's, a it's a good example. Like, um, I don't want to talk too much about the, the bonk guys, but <laughs> there are other things, but that, um, some of the guys on that team have tried and, they've been not as successful, you know what I mean? But you can stay present and you can keep trying things. And then maybe one day you create $200 million of value overnight. Like It just doesn't exist anywhere else. Um, and the fact that that opportunity was there for someone means that something else that you're not even thinking of now is there for someone else. So, yeah, I think that's that's the... The crux of I think why everyone's here, just because there's opportunity here that that just simply isn't in other places. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, so in that like realm of opportunity, you said that you started with obviously trading crypto, but then you must have transitioned into the whole like the Google project, right? So how did that transition happen from really just trading and then? participating in that community and if i'm not wrong i don't want to say something stupid but creating it right <laughs> uh we, we can get to that um but i'll, I'll start with the, the first side of the question um i think the transition is a long one um obviously big was created in august of 2021 um about probably 12 months after i had first kind of got um deeply into the space i think trading is a far too generous word for what I was doing when I kind of first started participating in crypto. Um, I was just buying it and okay. feeling really good watching it go up um, and then proceeding to feel really bad watching it go down. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think what happened with me is that I was present in the ecosystem. I was really happy. Obviously, there's a lot of euphoria that was kind of going down at the start of 2021. Um, I think the, the crash kind of came in maybe June or May, I think, um, yeah, May, May was the big crash. Um, and I just remember thinking like, Hey, I need to be really active. I, I just remember 
thinking that I needed to find ways to stay active in, in the crypto space just because of what I was saying before, like the amount of opportunities that were here, I didn't want to be turned off by losing money or by round tripping profits or whatever. And just going, all right, you know what, I'm going to be one of those guys who hodls Bitcoin and that's how I, that's my presence in this space. So I started to look for other opportunities or just other things that could capture my attention. Um, and when I first started to understand what an NFT was, it was really, really uh, natural to me. I, I feel like I understood it quite quickly because I'd done a lot of um I'd had a lot of involvement with StockX and sneakers and things of that nature. Yeah, and that's Stock a great transition. Yeah, and StockX is essentially a Web2 NFT. It's a digital representation of a physical asset. Obviously, physical assets don't exist, but we let's say you know a metaverse asset or whatever whatever you want to say. Um, it's things that you trade that you don't have in your hands, and you're buying and you're selling, and um, and people want them, you know what I mean? It's driven, The price is driven by how many people want them and how much supply is there. And you inject that with how much just general free capital is floating around the crypto space. And it, it, clicked, up, it clicked for me pretty quickly. What the unfortunate part is, is when I discovered NFTs and I, I was there for a lot of big opportunities, but I didn't have the capital to kind of spread your bets um, because I... I I wrote an article once about um, I don't know I don't know which article it was about whether it be the the founders failing or, um, or gambling addiction but uh, it was around like angel investors the stats of successful angel angel investors is almost entirely pegged to how wide they can cast their net like if you have ten million dollars and you invest in a hundred projects you almost will you're almost guaranteed to outperform uh, one investor with, you know, 500K who bet, who goes big in three projects because it's just, you cast your wide, you cast your net so wide, you, you pick up the ones that do really, really well and you can afford the rest to go to zero. Um, and that's how a lot of crypto VCs kind of, um, kind of operate. And that's how, if you had money at the start of, you know, we're talking, late 2020, early 2021 um, NFT ecosystem with like Artblocks and Bored Apes and Punks and or not Punks, but um, all of the things that were kind of starting there. And it's the same with Solana in August. If you had money to bring into the ecosystem, then you didn't have to really think. Like if you tried to get too cute with it and maybe you went all in with Kaiju cards, um, you end up with zero, but if you just had, you know, you had a few monkeys, you had a few dog birds, and apes, a couple, like a boogle or two, like if you just cast your net, which is what we've seen big brain do, of course, then you outperform a lot. So to get back to what I was saying before I got very much uh, distracted with myself, um, I was in the ETH ecosystem and I was, I was very present and active and I was kind of paper trading um, in my head with, with things I would have bought. And not just like, oh, yeah, I missed that because I, you know, I should have bought that. But things I, I legitimately would have bought if I had a little bit extra money in my hands. Um, and I found that like a really kind of interesting experience to, to learn from. And I ended up kind of buying a fair bit. Like that would have to be a lot more of an active trader because I had opportunity costs. I wasn't able to hold assets and watch them accrue. So I had to kind of buy things and then sell them and then reinvest those profits and, and things like that. 
Um, and that kind of, yeah, like led me into, I managed to make a little bit of money on the east side and then coming over to Solana, um, I was able to be a little bit more of that presence. Like I was able to come in with a little bit more money and be able to spread it a little bit. Like, you know, Solana was $60 or something like that. These mints were a few, like uh, these mints were three sol, five sol, whatever. Like it was, it felt a lot more affordable than what the ETH ecosystem was, but it still felt the same as what that kind of early 2021 on the ETH side felt like too. So I felt like I could come in and cast the net as wide as I could. Um, and if you were here in August, then it was hard to not to, um, it's hard to not make money if, if you sold. If you found the sell button, of course, but if you didn't, then you can always find a way to lose money. Um, and yeah, I, and I don't know if you want to reflect on anything I've said. I spoke for a long time before we go into the, the Bruegel side of things. <laughs> no, I think generally it makes a lot of sense. Because you even now, if you look at the projects that were that minted in like August and even September, a lot of them, a lot of them have stayed to a certain extent, right? Some more successful than others, and yeah, it was it was a good time. I only got here in November, so I didn't have the time to see that like the full force of <laughs> throw money and make it back. Mm, November uh, was a tough month to to start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was interesting. I didn't have the capital to mint anyways, so it was uh, for me it was just fun. Mm. But yeah, yeah. I think I think we all miss like when NFTs are really fun. Like I don't know, it's one of those things. You, it sounds pretentious to say of like, oh yeah, you know, you had to be that kind of thing. But I remember August, August September twenty twenty one was really really fun. Like it was more fun then than when everyone was richer in November. Because, you know, number had gone crazy, blah, blah, everyone's euphoric. But August, September, it felt like it felt like you were with a small group of people and everyone was just having a good time, collecting these, like, little JPEGs. And, like, it was our little ecosystem, you know what I mean? And I think that I've, I've spoken about this a fair bit um, to, I know, Ceylon's listening. We've, we've gone back and forth. this a lot of how these new chains really struggle to create organic ecosystems with the nfts because the value creation from the holder side is always limited because solana you know we were buying solana at you know small market caps we we bought it at you know mid 100 mils kind of thing and then we we watched it go up to to 50 billion or whatever the top was i don't even remember what the the top market cap would have been um but we watched that and we, we all made a lot of money and there's nothing that conjoins people more than holding hands and making money together. Um, whereas on Nier and Aptos and No Doubt Sui as well, you just have these other people from different ecosystems. Now, of course, it's, it used to be people thought ETH would do that to Sol and then, and then kind of bridge their money back to ETH. But for whatever reason, it seemed to seem Sol was a lot stickier. Um, and the people that kind of came over fell in love with it because I think it was the first chain that, had really, really smooth and slick UX that was actually significantly better than ETH and had something sticky like NFTs to, to get people over. Um, like, of course, XRP and you know, Litecoin and stuff have existed for a while, but they just they didn't have anything. And I think that was the, the puzzle piece that a lot of these were missing. And then you combine that with a lot of people made a lot of money together and it felt like everyone was doing it together. That's how you create these kind of like, staying ecosystems 
And I, I don't see how other chains are going to replicate that. And I don't see how Matic buying projects and trying to, you know, bridge things over, like maybe that's a good step for them to try, but I, I just don't see that getting people over, you know, like if you're, if you're a Solana market participant and you've got your phantom wallet and you're, you hold a Utes, if you sell your Utes on Matic, are you going to keep it on Matic? Probably not. You probably bridge it back over to Sol. And even if you hold it and everything's great, eventually there's going to come a time where you, you want to go back to what you think is native. And unless that new chain sells you and is significantly better because I mean, the stats on how hard it is to keep an existing, how much harder it is to get a new customer rather than keep an existing, uh, intense. You know what I mean? Like to, for you to, for me to go from comfortable with my phantom to um, extremely happy and like excited to to use Matic as my everyday wallet, there has to be a very very big mental win for me. It has to be something that I cannot get here. Um, and I, I don't know. People talk really highly about Sui. That's what I'm, I'm interested yeah. in checking out. But I, I don't see how they get the organic ecosystem because they, they're just going to get – and you can already see it. You know, People on Solana who have decided to start building on Sui or, or whatever it is for the money, for the grants, same thing we saw on Nier, same thing we'll no doubt see on Aptos. I, I don't see how they get those people to, to create a new audience without – everything going up without number going huge. You know, like if I buy a Sui out the gate at like a $3 billion valuation, that thing needs to go to 30, 40, 50 billion for me to believe in an ecosystem being created like native to Sui. Or it needs to be so significant tech-wise that it kind of blows everything else out of the water and and it um, becomes a sticky ecosystem. But I, I, don't, I don't envy the community managers of some of these chains. Outside of the token grant, <laughs> uh, I mean, the whole Ute buyout is. We'll see how it plays out. People are they still have the thing is they don't only have Ute bags or Dgot bags, so they're gonna stay on Soul probably. Maybe not all, but we'll see. But even then, I think the the comment on Sui is interesting because it's exactly what happened with Near. That's what I thought because Near, a lot of people were talking about it. They made a couple bags. And and I haven't heard about it in six months. Yeah, I mean, I I did the same thing. This is a good example of uh, it going the other way. I had the same approach with the early soul, early near. I was like, great, I'll put X amount of money and I'll spread my bets. I'll buy the top, you know, I'll just throw, I'll shoot some shots, like top five projects or whatever. And it went up and then it all went down. <laughs> and I... I uh, I bought that with the intention of leaving it. You know what I mean? I bought it with the intention of going, oh, yeah, you know, now I've got um, the equivalent of the SMBs and the, the punks and whatever. Um, I've got the equivalent. I'll let it sit. And if it's a success, it's, success, it's a success. But unfortunately, it was just people on Seoul, like myself, buying random crap that they didn't know anything about and then uh, taking their money back to their native chain. Um and I can't see a way that that doesn't just keep replicating. Because if everything I do, every time I think about it, I think about it through the lens of decentralized casino. And like, you think of how would a decentralized casino operate? You know what I mean? Like, there's 
something that opens up, a new game opens up, people flood into it to play it. People try and hedge their bets, try and find what the best odds are, how they can be the most dynamic and make the most money. And then the good ones take their money and they leave <laughs> and the rest fight over the scraps and the house always wins, which is just the market. You know, take, it will inevitably take money off people. Um, and I just think that's, that's, how, that's how it kind of works. <laughs> like I think soft money has, has a funny analogy for it as well. I forgot exactly what it is, but there's, he, he talks about um, how people like to think these different chains, these different L1s is like, you know, it's one big city and all these L1s are different neighborhoods or they're different, you know, they're different um, suburbs within the city and they can all kind of coexist. But I think soft stuff says something like, you know, it's a decentralized casino land and like every layer one is just another casino that pops up on the street. <laughs> that, that's all it is. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that's devaluing it. Like, of course we're not here. We're here because we believe in the technology behind soul being, um, extremely efficient and, you know, especially post-financer being truly the only thing that makes sense metric-wise and the TPS-wise to actually have the throughput to support mass adoption. But if you treat that as your core investment thesis and everything should go up as a result, you will likely not outperform the people who treat it like decentralized casino, better narrative with this casino. Like that, that's how you can strip it back a little bit and it's sad, of course, you know, you don't want to talk about art and things like that being on a casino chain. Like you don't want to think of it like that. But um, I think a lot of people would be better off from like a pure investment standpoint, thinking of it like that, or at least how thinking of it through the lens of, you know, everyone's here to try and make money. How, and then you can kind of predict or like at least get an idea of how things will play out because if you strip a lot of the the biases that we attach to things and the hope and the belief of different things that we, you know, we hope this time's different um, and you just treat it as it's a casino and the players are there to try and bet, then unfortunately or fortunately, you, you probably get a better prediction of, of what the outcome is going to be. That makes a lot of sense. I might have to reassess my way of investing. To be fair, I haven't found the sell button, so uh, yeah, <laughs> sitting yeah, on good. Yeah, well, you're part of the prediction. You know what I mean? We've got to have those metrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so yeah, I think also part of the play is probably that when all of crypto is booming, there are more people who join and they find a place to join. And Sauna was there, right place, right time. Sui, no one's, not many people, anyways, are coming in. There's probably more people who are leaving that are joining. So. Well, the thing Where is, like, Solana, you know, they built and started through like, through a bear market. Like, they, that was their kind of origins. So I don't think you need a bull market. Like, in some senses, bear markets are where that kind of community gets developed because you have these, like, key figures. You know, you think of ETH and you've got, like, all of the kind of big um, trader accounts and the people that have been around, like, they're the keystones of, of these kind of communities. Like, you know, you think of... Um, like people like Kobe and stuff like that, you know what I mean? You got Kobe um, and, and a whole horde of like these, you can't like calling them influencers kind of devalues it, but you've got these people who are keystone pillars in an ecosystem. And now like we see something similar with Sol, you know, you have these people who are keystone pillars in the Solana ecosystem and a whole horde of people behind them trying to compete for those, those same pillars to support it. 
And I think once you have that, then you have layers to it. You know, you have new people who came in at different points. You have people who founded projects, people who were early investors, people who are VCs deploying capital. Like you have all these different kind of things, and that's what forms an ecosystem. Like if you talk about it as as you know an organic natural ecosystem is where you have like a pond will have all of these different moving parts and you know without xyz it's not going to be a pond anymore like it's just going to be it's not a proper ecosystem if you don't have fish and marsh and blah 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 um and i think people forget about that when they think of like oh well you know there's money here like they're throwing out grants like they're gonna they're buying projects that's not how you get that you just get like tourists <laughs> you get tourists who come in because like the decentralized casino is open and the tourists come in, they make their money and they dip. And then you've just got a bunch of people holding the bag, but you don't have like a real um, built out community that's, that's happened. Um, and yeah, I don't know, like when, when you launch chains at $3 billion, $2 billion value, uh, especially in a, in a bear market, um, it's tough, you know, like who, who's buying that? <laughs> um, and I, I honestly think like maybe it goes up, like maybe it goes up, but you need that journey from, from zero to a hundred to really connect people. Uh, in my opinion, anyway, like I've been wrong before and, and no doubt I can be wrong again. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, I, I can't rationalize it um, as to how these kind of different chains will, will create lasting things. Like I think, Things like, you know, these big partnerships like Matic has Starbucks and, and Nike and, and all these crazy names. Um, I think that's how you get a lot of reputation to, to get the speculation side up. Like you get people who will buy the coin, but I don't think people will use the coin. I don't know. That's how I think of it anyway. At the moment, I'm, I'm, I am looking at Sui. There's some smart people who have said some good things about Sui. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's an outlook that makes sense. I guess there's always there's always going to be the exception to the rule anyways. So if it is a rule, there will be something that shows that it's not always true. But it makes sense. Yeah, uh, you, you just don't want to be, you just don't want to be the idiot who's like absolutely convinced that they're right and everyone else is wrong. Like, yeah. you just never want to be the, you know, the, what's a good example? I don't know, the Cardano or the, the XRP holder who is like... <laughs> absolutely sold that they they're they're right and everyone else is wrong um because then you miss out on the solana and you don't want to be this the solana guy if if you know the chain literally just keeps breaking <laughs> then like you want to be able to to change your thesis a little bit um but for now there's there's no reason to do that in my opinion on, on solana but i hope totally keeps his word of of 2023 being the, the year that they stabilize it <laughs> instead of shipping new features. Oh, hopefully no more, uh, no, no more blockchain going down means. We've had oh, I mean, those. It, it literally, like, you can't, you can't get any trust. Like if it's going to be unreliable, like you can't get any trust. That's, that, that's how you get, you know, like VCs and stuff will look at total value locked on the chain and all these other meme metrics. Like, I don't want to lock any value on the chain until I know it's going to work. <laughs> I don't think that's a controversial thing to say. Um, but I certainly don't want things like, you know, open loans or leverage positions or any perp trades that like have liquidation levels. Like those things, you need a chain that will work. And I would rather pay, 
you know, $200 on Ethereum to push a transaction through if I need to in some circumstances like of that nature rather than pay $0. But, you know, every now and then it doesn't go through. So I don't, I'm confident. I think five answers is big. Um, so I'm hoping that gets pushed out um, and that kind of goes all to schedule. But we'll see, you know, at the moment I, I, I'm a big fan. And I, I think like, I don't know. I think people are quick to discredit things. I mean, as long as Fire Dance doesn't become like ETH 2.0, um, <laughs> I think I'm fine with it. You know, if it doesn't take five years to ship. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's always a good meme. But so back to community creation and a prime example, Boogles. So <laughs> 101 to one NFTs auctioned off. How did that come to be? What's the story? Yeah, so the story, like, I, I feel like I've told this um, a few times before, but I still get people who don't really kind of understand the origin. Um, so the origins of Google, basically, like, um, I had a job. Like, I was just, I was working full-time, kind of in the, the corporate grind side of things. Um, I wasn't that grindy, but it, I enjoyed my, my, enjoyed my work, but I didn't enjoy it as much as, you know, buying JPEGs. Um and yeah, like I was just scrolling Twitter, like, you know, the monkeys had kind of just were about to launch, I think, at the stage. And, and you know, I had a, had a fract bag, I had my solarians, like, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and at the time, I think I had like you know, 1,500 followers or 2,000 followers or something like that. And I, I decided that, um, you know, like there's really an opportunity here that there's no as I was saying earlier, like there was no real kind of key pillars of the ecosystem yet. And it felt that same kind of energy of the early ETH guys. And I'd watched a lot of guys be really successful over there. So I just kind of thought like, all right, yeah, you know, I'm going to be active. I'm going to, I'm going to grow my platform and then maybe help some people through the speed bumps that I kind of faced when I got in. Um, and as I, as that kind of was going along, uh, I was just scrolling on Twitter. I think I was even at work. And I saw the, the Google page had been created. Like, I just saw this, like, ghost thing. Um, and I only had, like, I think I had, like, 200 followers on the account or something. Um, and I just thought, damn, like, that thing's really fucking sick. <laughs> For whatever reason, like, I, you know, I just kind of, I paused and, and took time out of the day and it stopped me. Um, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. Uh, and I jumped on the page. It had, like, one post of, I think, like, there was, like, a, a giveaway live or some shit and i decided to to reach out I was like hey um this is really cool like when are you gonna get them you know there's i haven't really seen any auctions apart from like the gen one monkeys like that was the only thing that had really used the auction platform before on solana and i was thinking damn okay this could be cool so basically i jumped in the dms and just said hey like um i want one like how can i buy one um when are they live like all of the kind of the normal questions you would ask and the account just kind of like responded, but with a message that like wasn't very clear. And like my, my kind of um, background was in biz dev and sales and, and partnerships and that kind of thing. So I was pretty um, affluent in like the communication side or like how you could, how you should talk to prospective buyers and, and things like that. Um, and based on like our kind of exchange, I just kind of said, uh, I just kind of like put a grapevine out. And, was it Olive Branch? Is that what people say? I don't know. I, um, yeah, yeah I, I just kind of ex- I extended uh, my 
don't know, my thoughts on it. I was like, hey, this is really cool. Um, you're based on our conversation. Like, if you wanted any help um, trying to get people excited for this and, and that kind of thing, like, even basic comms and things like that, like, I can maybe help out. Like, and I just really liked the brand. Um, so, yeah, we just had, like, a Twitter DM handshake of, like, yeah, cool, like, you know, let's give this a crack. You can do the art. I'll do the rest, basically. <laughs> um, and it turned out, like, Swaggy, who um, was kind of the original creator of the um, the name and the and the artwork behind Google, um, was he's not an, a native English speaker, so like that's why I think it was kind of a a good match getting me in for the comms and stuff. So yeah, we started the Discord. Um, I did all the like lore and the stories and like kind of all the option format. Like I think the initial plan was I think he was gonna do five options of 10 um like week after week and just smash them out um and i was like no i don't know like come on let's <laughs> let's slow it down like let's let people enjoy it um so i kind of came in and i, I yeah basically that was that was kind of how it happened like swaggy did the art and um i kind of took lead on the rest and then um when it got a bit tricky for me to lead it lead it all we kind of brought seal on in and then we were lucky enough to get Veets and then the council and yada, yada, yada. Like it all kind of came from there. But um, it was one of those things. That I think people always say, like, people use the meme of, like, oh, yeah, you know, it's just organic or whatever. But it really was. And I think that was, like, that talks to what I was saying earlier when, like, August in 2021 of Solana, it was fun. Like, it was just people having fun. And when I got involved with Google, it was, like, I'm going to do this because it's going to be fun. And then I was, like, all right, I'll, I'm going to do this because – maybe you know best case scenario highest ceiling i can imagine i can go from a full-time corporate grind to like a part-time corporate grind and get like a little bit more flexibility and then i was all right you know what maybe i can like maybe i can do this a little bit part-time and like resign and then pick up like some you know like i was talking to some teams at the time and i'll be like oh yeah i can you know manage your social media and things like that you know it just the ceiling kept on growing and then eventually not even eventually, it came up quite rapidly. I, I decided, like, hey, you know, there's really there's really something here and I need to kind of jump all in or I'm going to always think about what could have been. Um, so I did. And, and, yeah, the rest is history at the moment anyway. Yeah, the jumping in is quite, it's quite awesome. How mm. do you think, like, how do you, cause a lot of people I think have seen the Boogles as, like, a group of super smart people that are kind of, somewhat the Illuminati of Solana, which as ridiculous as that sounds, how do you think that reputation has come to be? And do you think there's any legitimacy behind, like, is the Boo community somehow, you managed to build somewhere where the people are just smarter, genuinely? <laughs> or, or, or like, you, what's there? You know what the funniest part about this question? If I answered it extremely mysteriously, it's best for the brand. And I think that's ah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but that's the answer. You know, people always want yeah. the answer. The answer is that everything is bullish. Because if you think the Google is the Illuminati and if you think that Google is getting, you know, every allocation possible to everything, if you think they're the smartest people, um, then it's a self fulfilling prophecy because it's gonna attract people who who wanna like all of this mystique is part of the brand building. You know what I mean? Like that's the secret sauce is you don't see Google's name attached to things that you should be proud to be attached to. Like one thing that 
we were really passionate about early on. Um, and to his credit, I'll, I'll give I'll give some flowers to, um, of course, Ceylon, but also Angels was like a early kind of um, contributor. Like he, and by contributor, I mean like we gave him an honorary, and, and he was always like active in the chats and things like that early on. Um, and he was super passionate about this as well. But it was just just say no to everything that isn't a value add. So you never saw Google, you know, running a partnership with a brand that um, potentially could have risk associated with it. And I think that's part of it. You know, you've seen how many times have we seen different brands jump in for a quick buck or different brands jump in for these small, these small short-term victories only for it to be a long-term detractor of, um, of their brand IQ or their brand value. And we were fortunate enough to have a team and I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by people who were really well-versed in that space. Um, and that's kind of a credit to, to where we are because people want their brand associated with, you know, people want their personal image associated with a brand that they know isn't going to do some real dumb shit. You know what I mean? Like I, and I, I hopefully I'm, I'm a founder or, or co-founder or whatever name we want to call it um, that emulates that. Like you don't want to be represented by someone who has a lot of attached potential to attract a risk. Um, and now obviously Google isn't about me. Like I've gone out of my way to make sure that the brand is its own entity. And we, we kind of have a much more than just myself. Cause I think it probably leaned a bit much on me, but now we have a council and a team and seal on and like, and all the founders have their own, like all of the, um, sorry, not the founders, all the holders have their own, kind of say in it I think or at least like we have all these kind of sub brands of these people who are so iconic from their own PFP that it's much more than than just me or Stealon or anyone else and I don't know it just it doesn't get there without without a lot of um, right decisions and the right decision was fortunately the easy one which was saying no <laughs> most of the time um, and then the community I think is a self-fulfilling prophecy we got extremely lucky with um i think it was our second or third auction we had people like big brain and backbooked and seal on and uh like mansquito and um eric and like i could keep on going on like we just had some really really impressive people join for whatever reason they liked the ghost and then from that point on it was just you know network effects you go okay well these guys are in there and that's active and it became like the only way you can talk to some people um, including myself, you know, my DMs got way too busy and I just spent all my time in Discord, but I spent all my time in the Google Discord. So you just had all these people who were kind of doing the same thing and contributing to um, one, the, the attention economy of these people was this one spot. Um, so that was the that was the really big, like there's a lot of sides of it, which is just pure luck, of course, like, like everything. Um, but that was the, the biggest one. The fact that some really, really impressive people um, decided to buy ghosts and and then not only that but to allocate their um, very valuable time to contributing to the community um, that's not a replicable thing and that's not something that you can really you know go out of your way to do that was just that was just good fortune yeah, yeah Google stays 100% the most recognizable PFP on soul i think it's which is impressive how like you get here and 
I think everyone knows Weevils. Everyone recognizes it. It's so recognizable. It's so, so many people rep it, even though it's such a just a hundred collection, which becomes kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, and I think it, it's just very much op- optimized for a PFP as well. It stands out. It's not an animal. It's not Solana Monkey Business. It's not Board Ape Yacht Club. It's Google. Like it's it's a brand that I am very excited and looking forward to making known to a much wider audience because it's a powerful name that people get. And for the same reason I stopped on Twitter and paused for a few moments to, to what turned out to change my life, I think I think people will have that same effect. Okay. So as a last question on the Boogles, because I'd like to actually go towards exactly where you're saying that pause on Twitter. What do you think the game plan is for Boogles now? Because you have the whole collection, you have a brand, you have the jackets, which are really cool, by the way. <laughs> um, what's next? What's the, like, scaling it? Or are you going to keep it at a collection? I don't know. <laughs> well, it's the same thing, isn't it? If I answer you with a mysterious answer, it's, it's the best one. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um. I think that there's the, the main problem that has been um, with the what's next question for Google is that there are so many paths to glory in the sense of there's just, we've done so much with so little that there is just simply so much left of the rope there. And there's, you know, I, I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is just a uh, an Australian saying or if this is something that the world says, because now that I'm thinking of it, it sounds very weird. Have you heard of the saying, there's many ways to skin a cat? No? Wait, what? I think I, I must have rocked for like half a second there. <laughs> I'm saying, have you heard of the expression that there's many ways to skin a cat? I think so, yeah. I don't <laughs> think it's only Australian. It, sound, okay. it sounds like something that would be an expression, but I'm not sure if I've actually heard it. Okay, okay, good. Okay, I'm seeing, I'm seeing some of the UK guys give me some love. All right, because it's, I was just thinking, like, you know, some, some of the times my dad would say some sayings that I don't think anyone else in the world has ever heard apart from some small country towns in Oz. So I, I got to check that every now and then. Um, Only yeah. down under things. <laughs> yes. But anyway, yeah, like, the, the, to the point, um, there's many different paths to success. And I think we're fortunate enough to, um, have a sound understanding of models that have worked in not only web two, but web three. So when we're talking about how to really increase the value of not just the NFTs, but the actual brand equity, um, I think there's a lot of right answers. And I think we're very close to what I would deem the right answer. Um, this is a lot of more conversation needs to happen around it, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm very fucking happy with with what we're kind of looking at. Um, so yeah, there's your mysterious answer. Fair enough. I mean, <laughs> I, I had not much to go off of that, but like, I'm excited for the future. What what you've done until now has been successful, and very much so. So you know, good things to come, hopefully. Yeah, the, yeah. the the plan will always be to keep holders extremely proud to represent the brand keep the brand moving forward in a way that is representative of our values as um, a premium and luxury uh, ecosystem and brand and 
continue to give holders great opportunity to capture value as um, a result of holding the asset. So those are the kind of key pillars, but we'll do that in a way that um, there's more conversations to be had, of course, but we'll, we'll be doing that in a way that I think is really exciting and, and kind of true to what the brand deserves, because that's a big part of it to me is we can't just treat this like everyone else and we can't just treat it like a lot of other different um, projects have of just kind of going down the, the generic path of, you know, this is what others do. Um, I am of the belief that the the name Google is kind of owed a bit more from from us as the as the team. So I think we can fulfill that. Yeah, one hundred percent. So after this, you mentioned the part where you like disconnected from Twitter and I think what you the way I saw it as just some rando on Twitter was that you'd mentioned a bit more about like going running, things like that, like early on <laughs> last year, I think. And then and then a couple of different things like that. And then it was like what I saw it was as a shift towards what one would consider maybe a healthier lifestyle, more touching grass. Mm. So I guess what motivated that? And yeah, where does it stand now that you're back on Twitter? <laughs> I mean I mean it's funny it's funny saying this to a group of people on Twitter, but Twitter's the worst. It um it sucks. Like it's it is one of those places that you can get an, an, a crazy amount of opportunity from and that, you know, there's many, many dollars that have been made simply by people scrolling on Twitter um, and seeing an opportunity maybe earlier or as a result of being there. Of course, Google um, either wouldn't exist or would be significantly different if I wasn't scrolling on Twitter one day at work. Um, but it's just, it's, it's difficult to balance. Like, I think the best analogy I've seen from it is there's a, I don't know, I forgot what documentary it is. Maybe it's the one about the um, Cambridge Analytica. I'm not sure exactly which one it is, but it's something about, you know, you've got my brain, uh, you know, mid IQ, like straight middle of the bell curve um, guy with, with time on his hands versing a team of thousands of the most elite algorithm developers on the planet whose sole goal is capturing my attention. Like I don't stand a chance in that battle. Like how, how dare I think that I am capable of creating balance with when that's the, that's the team I'm on. You know what I mean? Like that's just ignorant. So it works for a little bit. Like I can be on Twitter and I can genuinely enjoy my time on Twitter. Like I can be posting, I can be engaging with people. I can be on spaces I can be doing interesting things and and taking value out of that time and, you know, maybe even finding some opportunities and things like that. But inevitably, I am going to waste a lot of time. It's going to – I'm going to see, like, one thing that maybe affects me or sticks with me more than it should, and then I've just erased all the value I've got out of it because now I've wasted an entire day doing nothing. Um and I'm not a guy that needs to be super productive. Like I don't need to, you know, I don't, I don't beat myself up if I um, play games for an hour or two. Like it's not really an issue to me, but it just is, is not a winning battle. So the, the pattern for me is, is quite cyclical. I, I get back into Twitter. I have fun. I, I like, you know, hang out with my friends a bit. I do some shit posting. Life's good. Um, and then I just slowly spend more and more time on it. Um, 
and then inevitably I'm spending too much time on it. So I have to kind of set the cycle. And, and every time I think it gets like, like the pendulum swings a bit slower. Like I am more self-aware. I catch on a bit quicker. I, I decide to like, maybe I delete the app, but I keep using it on a web or something like that. Um, there's different things I can do, but inevitably like I have to, I have to delete it, take a couple of days off, reset the pendulum and then start it again. Like I think as long as you're self-aware of those, things that need to happen like you know I, I'm not naive enough to go all right I'm gonna quit Twitter like forever and I'm not naive enough to go like oh yeah you know like I've got a good balance but I'm just self-aware of when when it's taking a bit too much of my time and when when it's not very productive and certainly when I have other things to do like if I've got things I'm working on or, or some stuff I need to smash out like I just won't win that battle of having Twitter next to me um while i've got stuff to do because i'm i'm never gonna win that battle like i think it's just not it, i do not have the tools to to beat the very intelligent people on the other side of my phone trying to make me stare at it yeah that's a fair point i mean twitter is special i feel like crypto twitter is a bit better than general twitter but even <laughs> then, it depends on the day it really does it depends if people have made money or not yeah <laughs> And it but, depends if I'm if I decide to allocate my day into telling people who have made money that the the project that they made money on is is maybe uh, somewhat of a Ponzi. A Ponzi, yeah. <laughs> what was that tweet? It was the under old scammership, under new scammership. That was <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the dot one two threes weren't stoked about that. Um, but yeah, like it's just, it's at the end of the day, I've, I've uh, actually got a really interesting topic that I think I'm going to explore on my next Substack um, about like cult, cult-like behavior in NFTs. I think that'd be really fun. I thought about what I was running today. I was like, hmm, that's kind of sick. Cause I love cults. Like I fucking, I love trying to understand how people get into the places they get and how they can convince themselves of the things they convince, get, can get convinced of. Um, and that's a topic that's very, very prevalent in, in NFTs and crypto in general. Um, so I think that'd be really fun. I'd say a lot of bag holders are going to be hurt by that article, but I don't think they'll realize that that article is aimed at them. So <laughs> That's the best part. I love, I love the ones that are like, it causes people to relate to it. And they think that like, I've had a bunch of times where I've tweeted something and people are like thinking I'm subtweeting them or some shit. And it's like, mate, I muted you like, months ago I, I fucking haven't seen you in like a long time and like that just people think it's them and i think the fact that they're like insecure about this particular thing is really interesting to me um and i think a lot of people like it's the same i wrote uh, one about gambling addiction and i think a lot of people like i had a fair few people reach out to me after who were like, oh yeah okay fuck maybe <laughs> maybe i need to like look internally for a sec um i think that's that's kind of what i always like to that's the goal of all those articles is to get people to just kind of maybe be a bit more self-aware or like question what they thought was unquestionable um, without just being, you know, an opinionated twat. I like to bring some interesting things to it. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, that sounds like a really good mission through the substacks at the end of the day. When the moons so... align and the stars are bright, <laughs> I, uh, I'll get the tools out. Yeah. You know, once every, what, six months, more or less? Biannually. I think is, is okay. a good, good goal. <laughs> that sounds great. So you move away from Twitter because of how much of a fucking trash it can be. But mm -hmm. did that inscribe itself in like a more general 
switch of what you were doing in your lifestyle of, I don't know, being more healthy as a general rule? Or was it really just leaving Twitter because that place is fucked? <laughs> Honestly, like one of the weirdest sensations I had was like the first time I like left Twitter and I was like, all right, you know, I'm just going to take it, take a while. Off. I think I took a week off or something. Um, and at first I just felt like such an absolute idiot. Like I just felt like such a dickhead because I had so much more time in my day. And I just remember thinking like, I cannot believe you have had this much time allocated to doing nothing. Like the, it maybe, you know, you can argue that I'm building brand and, and you know, there's, there's definitely arguments to be said that spending on time, spending time on Twitter can be work and it can be productive and things like that. But I was just so angry at myself. I was like, like, how dare you waste like the best years of your life? <laughs> like just, just staring at Twitter. Um, and it took me a while to like kind of get, get kind of calmed down after because I was just like, oh, I was just so annoyed at myself. Um, but once you get used to that, once you kind of, you can, you can start reallocating time and you can also start being a bit kinder to yourself. You know what I mean? Like if you don't have Twitter and you buy uh, an hour, two hours, five hours, whatever, whatever your allocation to Twitter is, um, if you buy that time back, maybe you can sleep in an extra half an hour, or maybe you can like, you know, everyone has their guilty pleasures. Maybe you can watch a show. Maybe you can read all day maybe you can have a bath in the afternoon or you can sneak in a nap in your day like or you can just you know, spend more time with your your friends and relationships and things like that like there's so many ways to allocate your time that um when twitter isn't productive and i would argue that like you know bear market twitter's bear market twitter timelines are not the most productive thing to be on um then yeah, like you just buy yourself time to do really interesting things, like whatever that you deem that to be. So what interesting things have you, uh, what have you deemed to be interesting things with all the extra free time? <laughs> um, I play a lot of chess. I play a lot of chess. I, um, What's your ELO? Uh, look, I, it's a bit of a sensitive <laughs> topic at the moment. Um, <laughs> so I got to like all time highs and I was just like, like, it's funny people only talk about euphoria in different ways, but, like, I was proper euphoric on the, the true, you know, discovery of my, my chess, um, and it, it felt really, really nice. So I got up to, I think, 1650. Um, Gee, that's good. Yeah, I was quite proud of it. And yeah. it's, funny, it's funny how quickly you, you change your perspective, because then I, I was, like, pretty hungover last weekend. And I just decided to completely rinse my chest rating. So I'm back down to the 1500s. And it's like, but you know, you to, if you told me that a month ago, I would have been like, oh my God, I must be feeling amazing. You know what I mean? Like if, it, yeah. if I was to predict how I would be feeling at the level I'm at now, a month ago, I would be just over the moon. But now, cause I've seen that I flew too close to the sun. I've seen the highs. I've seen the sky coming back down. It's just like, fuck. And I think people like, you know, that's a lesson much wider than, than just that or crypto or, or anything. But yeah. Anyway, I play a lot of chess and I very much enjoy it. I, I absolutely love data-driven goals or things that you can improve on that are trackable. Um, so things like running and chess are like perfect because, you know, you can know, you can see exactly how good you are on a global scale and how much you've improved because there's a number that's attached to it. 
and it's an extremely accurate number. Yeah, and then run, running, same shit. Running is the same thing. Like you, you run further, faster, at a lower heart rate, and it feels noticeably easier. Like it's just data-driven, tracked, and easy. So I love those two things. And then I have a third that just completely throws those, like the data-driven data goes out the window, um, which is surfing. I surf a lot and I absolutely love it. It's very much attached to my personality. Um, but it's, it's very frustrating in the sense that it is not a static environment. It is extremely ever-changing and difficult. You know, it's very, it's much harder to get noticeably better because the noticeably, the noticeably better moments come few and far between and they come on, you know, you're never going to surf the same wave twice. So it takes a lot longer, but there's still things you can do to, to strip it back and, and get better, especially if you've got consistently good waves, which I'm fortunately fortunate enough to have, but it's definitely adds the, the nuance to my um ideally data-driven environment yeah i think i like the data-driven idea as well because it's always it's so much easier if you really see your progress and about running i saw the same thing and i think i used to run without any like heart rate measurement mm. at which point it's harder to see your progress i feel like because i got a watch that does that right and it's um i do my first run and something like 20-minute warm-ups, then some intervals, and the 10-minute cool-down. I do the same thing a week later, or like maybe two weeks later, and my heart rate has gone down 10 BPM. It's like, mm. shit, this is actually yeah. pretty cool. No, it's 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 great. Running is um, – I really enjoy it. And, I, yeah, the data side is just – it's like, I very much enjoy that because you can just tell you're getting better. And there's nothing more validating than working really hard on something and noticing getting better. And it's, it's similar to like, um, like I'm learning a language as well. That's kind of how I allocate some other time. Um, it's a, it's much more nuanced getting better at that, but you can slowly realize that like, oh, you know, I can say a botched version of this sentence now. And that's, that's nice. Like it's, it's slowly, you slowly pick it up, but the progress is obvious when it's there. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And, and at the end of the day, if I can allocate an extra few minutes, few hours to any one of those, whatever during the day or or if i have you know some google stuff that i have been trying to work on like if i can allocate more time to that or allocate reallocate twitter time to that and then open up time to do things i want to do or things that i um would prefer to do at that given time like it's just an easy trade-off you know what i mean like imagine if you could throw all your veggies in the bin and just eat eat the good parts like it's it's that's how i look at it yeah that sounds nice I mean, I think what I was going to ask is you do have quite a few like hobbies slash, I don't know what word you'd want to use for this, but like activities that you do, like, what are you, do you have a job now? Are you just kind of living and doing what you enjoy doing? What's the status there? Um, Yeah. So at the moment, um, Google remains kind of the core focus and for, you know, a long time, like we've had um, previous to like, I wrote a whole article about like I was kind of overwhelmed last year um when we got we were very fortunate enough to have prim come in and and have everyone kind of fill the gaps so i was still able to kind of fulfill and and participate and contribute as much as possible um to the google side but i wasn't it wasn't that demanding of my time like i was able to 
put you know a considerable amount of time in the week to Google, but um, still managed to find time for a lot of other really thing, good things that I enjoyed spending my time on. Um, but I, I get the inkling. I've got a little, you know, I've got a little spidey sense that um, the Google side's gonna gonna ramp up a, a fair bit of um, in the very near future. So that's gonna be cool. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. But balance balance will always remain a, a key part of my life. But I honestly think like you can you can balance anything. Like there was a point in my life where. I was getting way more done working full time and having like side projects and doing all this shit. And I would still get more done outside of work than when I had no work on and I managed to get nothing done. Like you can just, you can reallocate your time if, if you do it right. And uh, this is the, the year that I've, I've managed to um, kind of get that right when it comes to doing things. I've started using Google tasks which is fucking great. I've always tried to keep a list and try and keep like checklists of things I need to do in certain days and things like that and keep an actual like organized calendar. And I just have never managed to find something that I can keep like notes. I just would never read and calendars. I would never kind of get off to, but Google tasks, I think Apple's got a task thing. And and I think there's a few other ones. Microsoft has one as well. Um, Just fantastic. Just absolutely fantastic. So that's that's really kind of been a game changer for me as well. Okay, I might have to try that out because I've had, I've had my times where I'm like, okay, let's get my shit together. We're gonna do like a, a to do list. We're gonna check shit off. <laughs> and then it's always there's things that stop you from doing it, and then I feel bad because I haven't done it, or I put too oh. much on that to do list, or I include things that shouldn't really be included in a daily to do list. I mean, yeah, it's it messy. Get get Google Tasks, change your life. Do it. <laughs> I'll try that out for sure. So one question that I like asking, it's kind of like as a person, right? You have at this point, you, you're probably pretty much set. You have that balance between your activities, your job. You have, I guess, you're kind of in a place where you're happy with it more or less. But so what are your necessarily, what are your next steps in terms of just a more uh, human approach? What do you want to like, I don't know if the word would be legacy, but what's kind of your objective in maybe like the next five years or even further than that? Um, oh, five years. Um, nah, I'm not going to answer five years. That's too much. Um, I think, I think my goal for the moment is pretty simple. I think I've gone kind of in waves with Google of trying to figure out where my place is um, and what kind of needs to be done and, and how it should be done. And I think that I'm pretty close to, um, like, I think in my mind, I, I've kind of got a more clear understanding of that now than I have had in, in quite some time, um, which excites me. And I think job's not done in that sense. Um, of course, it's not done or people would start screaming at me. Um, but there, there is a bit of a flame there that I, I'm, I'm quite keen on. Um so that's probably the more the professional side, but the personal side, like, you know, I'm a simple guy. <laughs> the personal side, I want to, I want to keep my, my relationship happy. I want to keep in touch with my family. Um, I want to go out of my way to be a guy who sends voice memos and calls rather than just sending messages. Cause I think they're a lot more powerful. And I think a lot of the world does that right. Um, and, and I've not, not been good enough in that, in that department. Um, 
and I just want to learn stuff. You know what I mean? I want to, I want to learn anything from um, the latest modern chess openings and and uh, how to surf particular conditions in, in with different boards. I want to learn what my ideal board is for every condition. I want to learn ancient Greek philosophy. I want to learn uh, all of the great books that I have on my list that I want to read. I want to learn how I can be happier. I want to learn what makes people flourish more in general. Um, I want to learn what the best morning routine is for me in a particular season. Like, There's so many things that I want to consume um, that I really don't need to like think that often on, on this kind of topic. Like I just there are things I want to do and things that I have not done yet. Um, and the list is too long for me to really have to think about at this point. And I'm fortunate enough to, to be in a position where I can explore or, or at least lend some of my time to figuring out which things do pique my interest and not just, just my, um, you know, initial impressions of it. Yeah. Does it ever feel overwhelming to have such a massive list of things that you want to try out and learn? Yes and no. I think I think there'll come a stage in my life, um, perhaps when I'm a bit older, maybe that I'll I'll start freaking out that I simply can't know everything and I can't learn everything. Um, but at the moment, you know, I'm I'm young enough to young and naive enough to to believe that I can consume most of the things I, I want to consume. Um, and I think, oh well, yeah, time, you know. Time is something I have at this moment and I'll we'll never have more of it. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, it, it does get, it, it is a bit overwhelming that you can't do everything, but you can do a fair bit, can't you? Yeah. yeah. So here you say, like, obviously like consuming a lot of this knowledge and all of that, but you also mentioned earlier the side of um, value creation. So is there something, is there value that you're trying to create outside of Google's in your Substack on a that same personal level or is it for now just consuming to be able to like have that much more impact in the future I think at one point uh, in my life I'll probably write a book um it's just always kind of it's been something in my head like you know when you don't really have any intention of doing something but you kind of know something will happen um that's how I feel about a book like, and I know that sounds ridiculous because it will absolutely not happen without an incredible amount of intention and action and um, frustration and time and blah, 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 blah. But I just feel like at some point it'll happen. Um, so when you talk about things like legacy, like I think, I think the, the Substack part of the goal is, is that kind of legacy where, you know, if I die tomorrow, people can kind of still consume who I was or, or get some, maybe take some value out of my ideas. Same thing with like podcasts like this, you know what I mean? Like um, I don't do this to, I mean, I'm not getting paid, but like, if I was like, you know, you don't, you don't get, you don't do these kind of things for um, the conversation. You do things for there's content that, you know, my parents can listen to if I die. Like there, there's things that are there that I don't just get completely erased in the history books. Um, it's not something I really think about a lot, but I think, that will become important to me at some point. So I like to be kind of make some moves early enough that a, the box is ticked before it matters. Um, yeah, I, I don't really think too much about it, to be honest. I just try and investigate how I can 
help others with the extremely useless and niche experience that I have in, in Bonzi's and, um, and try and, I don't know, contribute where I can. You know what I mean? Like I, I like to, I like to help those who, who want to be helped when I can, but I think the main goal for me is just how, how do I understand human flourishing as much as I can? Okay. That makes sense. One of the, um, I think one of the elements that you've probably helped in a without, lot from without, yep. without being a cultural appropriating ape who just quotes random garbage on Twitter. That's, I want to put that clause. <laughs> okay. That may, I mean, fair enough. Sorry. <laughs> no, no worries. But so one of the places that I think you've, you've helped at least from what I've understood from for example Toshi here is that you've helped a lot in the one-to-one space and I was going to ask like how did you get into one-to-one why is it something that like sparked an interest in you what's the what's the lookout on that what's up with that um (laughs) yeah I don't know like honestly I I think the the main reason um I first started exploring that side of things was because um Google was was really kind of pioneering auctions on Solana. And I thought, you know what, like there's a lot of people who are trying to, um, trying to make something of themselves with this same platform. So it's kind of the least, you know, least we can do to, to reinvest um, some capital that we were making and put it back into the ecosystem in that sense, because, you know, and as, as I was talking about at the start is like inherently there's a selfish reason behind that. Like, I want people to look at auctions more. So this platform's brought up and, and, you know, inevitably maybe someone sees Boogler as a result, but a rising tide lifts all boats, as they say. Um, so I just felt like it was kind of part of my role was to, to help support others who um, were kind of part of the reason that, that I was able to support them in the first place. Um, and also like, I just, I just never, I'd never, um, really given myself an, uh, an uh, opportunity to appreciate art because I couldn't create and I didn't have anywhere to store art. And I, I just wasn't ever really the kid who, you know, it, people put, like to put themselves in categories. Um, and if you asked me in, in school, I would have said I'm not a Nazi kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would have said, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a sports guy and I like maths or whatever. Like uh, that's the box I would have put myself in. Um, but people, and I think many have over just through NFTs, everyone is artsy. (laughs) Everyone appreciates art. Like it's, it's an incredibly special thing. Um, and to be able to be a part of a lot of people who for the first time kind of found their voice, um, was just really special. Like that, that's kind of one of the things I'm most proud of is, is the footprint I have, um, or have had in the past in that space. Um, yeah, you just you just get to watch people um, really, really achieve like what they've always dreamed of. You know, what I mean, it sounds really corny, but like people were finally able to to raise their own ceilings and and do really interesting things and travel the world and have their work, you know, displayed in conferences and sell for thousands of dollars. And and you hear the stories of a lot of the people from where they what they were doing prior to that. Um, and it becomes quite special. Um, so I don't know. I, I was I was attracted to it first from potentially a selfish reason, 
or just like, you know, or an obligation, I suppose, that at least that I self-enforced an obligation. And then it turned into um, an appreciation. And then it was just, you know, a, a real passion point in my life for, well, still is. Um, so I guess that's the transition of it. But yeah, I, I mean, I still, I still think that art is NFT's primary use case. And the only thing that is... Um, truly timeless. Like we look at models that have worked and what people want uh, and art has been around for as long as, as long as people could put anything on anything. Um, people have wanted to collect, own and create art and from an NFT use case, that's, that's the only one that makes sense to me or it's been truly proven in my opinion. If you had to explain to someone who's not into NFTs, whether an artist or like general person, how would you explain why using NFTs is better both for art and for artists? I would say if you created art on a canvas, I would never own it, buy it or have an interest in it because I don't have a house and you live on the other side of the world and I, I can't do anything with it. I could maybe take a photo of it and enjoy it for a bit and give back to you but that's it and i represent a growing number of people who want to own and collect and appreciate art without having to store it worry about handling worrying about damage worrying about authenticity worrying about transferability worrying about liquidity markets um and i see no reason to buy your art if you choose to leave it on a canvas um, at my current age and state. I appreciate it. And I am so glad that you're able to find a way to have a creative outlet, but you won't take my money. <laughs> um, that's how I would explain it because that's how I feel. And that's not accurate. And of course there's, there's, you know, a million different exceptions to it, but that's to me, that's it. You know, like I, I don't, if you make a three by three, like three meter by three meter canvas, that's the most beautiful thing in the world. I can't do anything with it. <laughs> I, I can, I can look at a photo of it. You know what I mean? That's it. Um, but that's how I would explain it. Yeah. That makes a surprising amount of sense for something that's so much less professional than what some people would, uh, would give out like their kind of professional <laughs> spiel. I want to say about like why NFTs, the new tech and everything. It's like, hmm. I, I won't fucking buy it. <laughs> It's that simple. It's that simple. Like if I want to buy 200 pieces of art, it is like, that is the only option. Or I rent a storage container and pay obscene amount of import taxes all around the globe to get art that I enjoy. Or I buy a piece from like, say a Sotheby's auction or something. And then I keep it in their warehouse. And guess what? I have paid for something and all I have for ownership of it is a fucking email and a picture of it which may as well be an NFT, same thing. Like it's just dumb. Like pe people never think about how much stuff we buy that isn't tangible. Like people all the time buy like real estate overseas and they don't stay in the apartment ever. They just have a document that says it's theirs. Or we buy like, you know, we buy subscriptions and things like that. Like we buy so much stuff that isn't tangible, but we retrieve some value out of it. Um, and to me, like, it may as well be an NFT because I, at least I can prove it's authentic and I, I own it for some period of time. 
Um, it's transferable, it's verifiable, and it's mine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why not? People want to collect art. People have always wanted to collect art. Um, but now we have the ability to do it in a more streamlined digital way. And that's not to say that the art scene or, you know, traditional art is obsolete. Of course it's not, because that's the thing that's proven for thousands of years. But the new, a new way of doing it, a new way of collecting, a new way of creating is just another new way of doing things, which, you know, for the same reason the internet is a new way of doing things or like online news is a new way of creating newspapers. Like it's, it's just evolution in my, in my opinion. Yeah, 100%. That makes a lot of sense, I guess. So on that same topic of art, is there ever a piece of art specifically that kind of, that might have, I think some people will talk about art and say that there's this one piece that has changed <laughs> them or that has affected them. Is there one that would, that has done the same for you? Oh man, I, I hate this question. <laughs> um, uh, like, there's many, you know what I mean? And there's so many that it like stresses me. It gives me anxiety thinking about um, how to answer this question. <laughs> um, I can say a few just to, just to kind of answer the question, but it's going to hurt my head and I'm going to like, I'm going to wake up at 3am this morning and be like, Oh fuck, I didn't, I didn't say this. Like, um, but yeah, I, I think um, sleeper dream is destiny is really special to me um celestial stasis is really special to me um mask by oxlxxr is really special to me layers within number two is really special to me um celestial also has a piece called life which is just beautiful um and i don't know man like it's gonna it's gonna freak me out keep me on thinking but there's there's a lot of art that has had a lasting impact on me. Um, and I'm very happy to own most of it. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it doesn't keep you at night too, keep you awake know, at night I too know, much. Man. I'm, I'm like already going like, oh God, like what have I missed? What have I missed? <laughs> oh um, man, sorry about that. No, that's okay, that's okay. <laughs> and is there, if you had to just, oh, this one's going to hurt you even more. If there was one piece that you had to pick, Oh, or, and yeah. I mean, not if there's one, more like from the pieces that you've like mentioned, what's the one lesson that you think was not necessarily most impactful, but maybe like one of the interesting lessons you've had that might apply to other people or that you think is particularly important, or just one that you kind of feel like sharing? From a piece or a lesson? Either one. A lesson? Um, art is fucking beautiful. And you should never tell an artist how to produce their own art because it's a creative expression and they deserve their own platform. And if you're ever criticizing an artist about like abstract art or something because you can draw it with something, you're a fucking idiot. There you go. That's my advice. Fair enough. And following on that line, how do you think for like aspiring artists on whether it be on like Solana's like the blockchain or whether it be from a traditional point of view, whichever one, what do you think are maybe what do you what have you seen that works best or what do you think is most important in that sense? Uh, in one sense in particular? I guess I think what I'm having trouble here with is that 
I would say to have success as an artist in the sense that you want to be able to sell your pieces to the most amount of people, right? And make a living mm. out of it. But on the same point, I don't necessarily know if that's the best way to define success as an artist because mm. it's not always about money. But at the same time, I don't want to devalue the job of being an artist. I don't know <laughs> if you see what I mean. Success is what you level it in your own metrics. Um, in the same sense of me flourishing more in life might be the same person. Like that's my metrics. Other people's metrics might be $10 million. What Success needs to look like whatever you, your metrics are and your guardrails. Um, and hopefully you don't have unfortunate guardrails like $10 million. Um, but that's what, that's what it should be to an artist as well. It should be a personal journey. And if that is um, making money, then it's making money. That's a, that's a legitimate goal. And any artist who can go full-time and support themselves that way should be extremely proud, even if they're doing art that they're maybe not proud of. Like, there's a beautiful quote um, that I think I posted a little while ago. It's something like, um, uh, a man who does what he loves, a man who uh, loves what he does for work and a man who does what he has to do for work in order to enable him to do what he loves, both uh, both are equally noble. Like, it doesn't matter what you do. Like, you don't have to love your job. Um, but it, if it enables you to do what you love and you maybe you don't enjoy the art you create that helps you go full-time into this space, um, but it enables you to be a full-time artist, which is your, it's always been your dream, like, that's that's you being successful so i don't know i think i think it depends on your metrics for for artists um and i and those ceilings and things are always going to change of course as well like maybe someone someone's dream was to make 200 dollars a week creating art soon enough if if they if they do everything right and they start killing it maybe that turns into two thousand dollars like you know you can your your ceiling's always going to move and change but the success metrics of each individual should be just that. It should be individual success metrics set by that individual. And I think artists very much should, should adhere to their own success metrics and not others. Um, and success might look very, very different to different people, and it should. So on that perspective of the idea of loving what you're doing or doing what you do to be able to do what you love, in your experience, obviously, like, you don't really produce art, but just in the experience of what you've seen as a collector, are artists that produce something that's, like, from their heart, that they love, that means something to them, rather than something more, like, commercial, more financially successful or not? Like, are those two correlated? I mean, <laughs> not always. It, it's always nuances. Like, there are people who noticed trends, um, and made a lot of money. You know what I mean? Like they, they noticed people like to buy uh, small one-on-one art groups like Google. Um, and they went from trying to create their own pieces to, to different things like these, these kind of Google-esque clubs or whatever um, that maybe weren't as challenging from an art perspective, but they made more money. And there's nothing not noble about that. You know what I mean? Because if that enables that person to create more and and maybe use that as a as a war chest to go and try and give it a 
different crack at different angles and try try different things to you know create one on one or whatever the initial goal was. Um, that's equally noble, I think. I don't think that. I think it's a personal choice in the same sense. Like people um, like Sleeper, who, who I'm um, good friends with and, and did a lot of work with. Um, he's a guy that I think for him to compromise his work and, and do something like that would kind of break his heart. And that would be his definition of failure, even if he maybe made more money. You know what I mean? But for other people, um, it's not. And that's fine. <laughs> I, I don't think um, success can be measured from from that kind of viewpoint. Um, uh, yeah, some people make it's the same. You know, it's the same as it's the same as like the grifter. Oh, it's not, it's not the same. I don't want to make that comparison. Um, no, but it's like it's the same as you know. There, there's many different ways of of making money in crypto, um, and there's definitely varying degrees of nobility in that sense. But um, people's individual success metrics need to be what they they kind of judge themselves on. Yeah, that's fair. The I guess it's at this at, on one sense it's kind of obvious that that your success should be determined by what matters to you and how you define yourself. But in another sense, it hasn't been that as as like a kid or when you're growing up, that isn't really what's put towards you. It's generally more about like financial and what there's a set of expectations that isn't generally just be happy with what you're doing and find your own success, I guess. Yeah, I mean, like, it just it just looks different to different people. Like, there's people who maybe would have my journey and be deeply, deeply unfulfilled because they didn't get what they thought they wanted out of it. Um, and there's, inversely, there's probably people who have managed to find flourishing in their own life with, you know, a lot less. Um, and that's great. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just people... Like I think the the core theme is that people probably need to change their their ceiling and their goal in the sense of like it's always there's always a higher number and there's always there's always X Y Z to chase but I think it's just as simple as you know rewiring those goals to be more around flourishing and, and having deeper relationships and you know spending more time with with people that make you happy um, rather than these really specific professional goals. But inevitably, you need to, like, that's the, you know, to do what you love part. And if you need to do what you hate in order to do that, um, so long as no one is wronged in the process, then that's noble. You know what I mean? If you need to, quote, unquote, sell out um, and, you know, commercialize whatever it is in order to reach that, then that's important and you should do it. And if you don't then that's great and if you're self-aware enough to know that that would have a deep effect on you and, and your ability to flourish knowing that you know you could never you could never live with yourself going down that sellout route or whatever xyz name that you're afraid of um then yeah you should respect yourself and, and be self-aware in the sense that you're not going to be it's going to hinder your happiness but people get people get way too way too convinced that that things are you know, there's certain things that are untouchable and like not even worth considering. Everything's worth considering, in my opinion. Yeah. Even when for does... a fraction of a moment. Okay. When does the ceiling kind of 
because I feel like I think one thing that my dad has always mentioned to me is that if you're looking to get money, you make your first ten dollars, and at this point you're looking for the hundred, then the thousand, then the ten thousand, and it never ends, and it doesn't necessarily get easier or harder, but that ceiling you just keep on pushing the ceiling further, and you're never going to be fulfilled because you're getting a new goal each time, and you're pushing towards something new. So, do you think you have a goal that you're kind of aiming towards at which you think you can stop? Like, what's the game plan around the fact that there is a ceiling and that you might always push it further and never end up completely satisfied and fulfilled? Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of um, like happiness studies done around salaries and wages and things like that. Um, particularly one, I don't know the source but um yeah like there there is an exact level where additional money no longer increases happiness and lifestyle and i think it's around 100 120,000 a year um if you earn more than that or if you earn just that your average happiness isn't really going to change um which i think a lot of people would be better off thinking about when it comes to that new job or the new the promotion like the the thing that you're doing, like if it is tied to just making extra money that isn't going to be life-changing, um, then that's, you know, that's a data-driven thing to think about. Like, you know, if, if you're going to sacrifice a considerable portion of your work-life balance, then you should start considering whether it's going to actually improve your quality of life. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, for, for me, like, I don't know. Like, I just think there's always new things to do. Like my, to go back, I, I don't want to keep on saying success metrics because it reminds me of my, you know, my job in retail many years ago. Um, but it, it, it's important, you know, my, my ceiling isn't money. And if I, if my ceiling was money, then, then I've kind of already, I've already fucked it up. You know, um, my ceiling is things like, yeah, like 2000 ELO in chess and, being an extremely competent surfer and being a good boyfriend and partner and being a more communicative son. Like those are the things that I think they, yeah, like those are the things go, go crazy, push the ceiling, you know, beat, beat yourself at those things. Um, but don't, don't chase a number. Um, so yeah, I'm not really concerned about pushing the ceiling. I think, I think I, the thing that the main thing that, that perplexes me about this side of things is that like I think to get to where I am now, I needed to have an attitude that I would now say is toxic, which has always been a real interesting paradox that I've tried to process. Um, like in in high school, and you know, not that many years ago, I was I was a guy that I would very much reject now when it comes to like chasing money and being, you know, being that kind of entrepreneur guy who's like always going to like be a go-getter and, you know, have a freaking Audi R8. Like I had very, very shallow goals. Um, and yeah, the, the paradox is like, do you get the privilege of having this attitude now without the, um, the trade-off of having that attitude previously? So that's, that's something that I, um, I don't know maybe I should write about that for a bit because it's an it's a fascinating topic that's that's always kind of interesting to me, um, and then like kind of what real really bakes your noodle is whether whether I would 
value, like if I had this attitude at that stage, whether I might be just as happy or happier, um, just with much less, but still the, the core product of my happiness, you know, remains untouched or improved. So I don't know. It's just, it's a fascinating topic to, to explore. Yeah. This is all, all of the what ifs. Mm. It's always that. The what ifs are crazy, man. I, I, um, recently watched uh, one of, I'm sure there's many, but one of the documentaries about Kurt Cobain. Um, and one of the stories is like he in grade 11 um, laid on train tracks and was had the intention of killing himself um, and laid on the wrong tracks. So the train came and didn't run over him. And I just thought, wow, like an entire generation of people inspired by Nirvana and the the potentially hundreds and centuries of years of people inspired by that kind of counterculture could have just been erased in that moment. Like everything we know now, like you know what I mean? Um, I don't know that 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 always melts my brain. But those kind of things always just go wow. And the the same thing in so many different things. Like that butterfly effect conversation is fascinating. It's really the butterfly effect. It's uh it's kind of terrifying how. I mean, in, in Kirk Cobain's case, it would be a pretty huge thing that changes an even bigger thing. But how little things can really impact something mm. massive. Yeah, now that uh, that shit hurts my head. Yeah. <laughs> I think back to the part of like the ceiling and what you're going for, talking about relationships. And uh, like some people that I've spoken to have often told me that part of the happiness that you get from life is sharing experiences with people, which I don't think is always true. You can obviously be very happy if you do things alone and you need that like alone time. But at the same time, a lot of happiness does come from sharing moments with other people. I don't know. What do you, does that like resonate with you or? (laughs) Honestly, like every now and then I get the temptation to just like be a monk and just run away for a while. And I think that's like a really interesting, I always like kind of battle with that side of my brain. It's like, you know, why? Like, why the fuck do you want to do that? Um, and I think it's, yeah, this really interesting thing of like trying to prove to yourself that you can be happy just with yourself and nothing else. And I think that like, you know, there's a lot of teachings in Buddhism that would say like, as long as you appreciate the environment that's around you and, and like all kind of living beings, you don't need those kind of attachments and, and necessarily the relationships to be you know, in, in their word enlightened. Um, but it's much easier. <laughs> it's much easier to do it if, if, you, if you have close friends, you know what I mean? Um, it's kind of like the, the good side of religion. Um, I shouldn't have phrased it like that. I won't go into religion and politics, but the, the benefits of religion unhappiness is pretty much all community-based because you have routine rituals, of course, like going to church, you have a community and a common belief, um, which is, you know, I don't need to talk to that. It's all very intuitive. Um, but those kind of things are key to human happiness and also for humans to live longer is those kind of relationships and community and, and those kind of values. So I think you can take a lot from religious people, how they live their life and how they have like a common community and things like that. Um, and then you don't have to be, you can be secular and take lessons either way. Um, but yeah, like I, I think I think deep relate like good relationships and friends 
whether they're next to you or whether they're afar, I think is is a pretty important part of being happy. Um, or at least not having bad relationships, you know what I mean? And most of the time in life, it's not about what we do right, it's what we avoid doing wrong with. Um, it's the same as, uh, I mean, diet's a great example, you know. You don't need to run seven times a week and work out every day. You just need to stop drinking soft drink and eating like crap or just eat a little bit less calories. Um, like you can exercise till the cows come home, but if you are eating poorly, you, you're just you're not going to be in a caloric deficit and you're just going to put on weight. Um, and I think that's that's the way of many things in life is we just need to focus on cutting out the bad stuff rather than trying to be overtly obsessed with the, the good stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think that's why I want to say like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be an advocate for voice memos and voice messages because they're so much better. I, I've recently lit, moved to a new place. Like I don't have friends, uh, all my friends and family and stuff are, are not directly near me. Um, of, of course I have my partner with me, thank God. Um, but the, the relationships I've formed here, um, have been from voice memos because nobody messages each other. You know, you connect with someone, you meet someone at, you know, a bar or surf car park or whatever, and you like get that WhatsApp and they, they send you like a minute message about, you know, how their day is going and what the waves look like and you know, what the weather's, what the weather's up to and what they got up to yesterday and like ask you five questions um, rather than these really shallow, like, Hey, met you at the car park. Here's my number. If you need like, it's just that's where the conversation ends, and I, I feel like it just opens up so many doors. So I've been doing that lately. I've been I've been sending voice memos, um, and I used to hate when people do that to me, but now I, I it forms such better connections with people. So I would heavily encourage people to do that. And Twitter messages and Discord suck because you can't do it, but a lot of other messaging platforms will, and you'll you will have better relationships with people you talk to regularly if you do it. I swear by it. Fair enough. I think I like them, but there are times when they're just not the right thing to do. You're right, like... and that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but I mean, fair enough. No, like it, there is, of course, times they're not the right thing to do. But if you a message, especially like parents and things like that, like parents, grandparents, like cousins, whatever, like if you reach out to someone with like a Random voice memo, you know, it's never a short voice memo, in my opinion. In my, I know I like to ramble, of course it's obvious from this, but you, you go, you know, oh, hey, how are you doing? Like, hope you're doing well. Oh, like, you know, um, this person's wedding's coming up and I'm doing this. Like, are you going to be there? Oh, wait, oh, sorry, this person just ran past me. Oh, did I tell you I'm doing this now? But, like, it just, it's like a conversation, you know? Humans build relationships from conversation. And a voice memo is like you get to hear that person's voice, you get context, like there's no weird misunderstandings of like, oh, that message felt weird. It's just, um, it's much better connection. So I'd encourage it. But anyway, I, I've, got to, I've got to run in like 510, by the way, I just thought I'd flag that. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, we've had a very long conversation, <laughs> fortunately. I'm very happy about it. But I think I'll have to try the voice messages to my grandparents in the hopes that they figure it out, which is... <laughs> definitely not a guarantee but you That's never know yeah yeah it's a hit or miss but worth trying mm. um but yeah i mean if you have to go i think it's a kind of pretty much a good time to close it off mm -hmm. um 
So first of all, there's the Poe apps. So for everyone listening, um, Celestial made a really beautiful piece. It's I really like it. I hope you do too, George. Um, so I've tweeted out a link, which I'm going to try to pin to the spaces. But last time I did that, it worked absolutely terribly. Um, <laughs> and looks like it's not going to be fun to do this time either. So anyway, if you call my profile, you have a link. It's my website, which I've created recently, so it looks complete garbage. Um, bear with me. I'm going to make it better. And then I've actually managed to put it on the spaces. And with that being said, George, if you want to, like, share whichever, like, your Twitter or share your socials, whatever you want to share on this massive platform, go ahead. <laughs> uh, support artists and consider donating to something that you care about. There you go. Okay, awesome. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for being and here. And send voice memos. Dude, Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next next episode of the podcast is on Thursday. I think it's 9 p.m. UTC with Toshi. Um, I'll skip that one. <laughs> and uh, with another cool POAP normally, hopefully. Um, and yeah, thanks a lot for coming. And I'll see you soon, hopefully. <laughs> a pleasure. Thanks, thanks a lot. Ciao. Bye.